Okay, so we're going to go back to our Bible study. We've been going through the book of 2 Peter, and we've had this series on spiritual growth. And again, it's been about three or four weeks since we've been in it, so um, we're going to get into chapter number two. Um, what we're going to talk about today is things of the end times. Okay, and I've given it a title, The Surety of Judgment and Deliverance, and we're really going to just focus on verse number nine. But um, before we do that, let me just remind you, the last book of your Bible, the book of the revelation of Jesus Christ tells us all about how things are going to end. And chapters 2 and 3 of the book of Revelation give seven letters to seven churches. And doctrinally, they represent for us seven periods of church history from the time of the resurrection until the time of the rapture of the church. And the last of the seven letters is a letter written to the church of the Laodiceans. It's number seven of seven. And in, so that goes through chapter three of Revelation. Chapter four of Revelation, in verse number one, John the Apostle, who is a picture and a type of the church as a believer in Jesus Christ, is called up into heaven miraculously. A type and a picture of the rapture of the church being called out of this earth. And from chapter 4 and verse number 1 all the way until the very last chapter, chapter 22 of Revelation, you no longer read anything about the church. Why? Because the church is gone. And we go through this time referred to as the tribulation period, ultimately till the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so all I want to point out to you is the fact that Laodicea is the last church period before the rapture. And what it does for us is it represents the time just before the end of the church. And if you took the time to study the church in Laodicea, you would find that they're, unlike the other churches, where Jesus Christ in his letter has some positive things to say, and then he has some rebukes for them as well. With Laodicea, there's nothing positive to say. The characteristic of the Laodicean church earns only rebukes. And so look with me in Revelation 3, it'll come on the screen, verses 15 to 17, where Jesus says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would thou wert cold or hot. So then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew thee out of my mouth. The church literally makes God sick to his stomach, if you will. And so in verse 17, he says, because thou sayest, the church has this testimony of itself, I'm rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And God says, well, you don't even know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And so as we approach the soon coming of the rapture of the church, and as we approach the soon coming of that end time with the second coming, Laodicea represents our time today in the 21st century. Yet, I want you to know, and what we'll see today in the message is, you don't have to live your life like the characteristic Laodicean. That will be the overwhelming focus of the trend of modern Christianity. But you don't have to be a person like that, because in continuing that passage in Revelation 3, starting in verse 20, it says this, Behold, Jesus says, I stand at the door and knock. If any man... Any individual among you that will decide, if any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. 
Now, he's not talking about salvation. He's talking to a church. And he's saying, I'm standing at the door and I'm knocking. And what I want to do is I want to come in and have fellowship with you. To come in and have sup with you. Have fellowship with you. And if you will open the door and have personal fellowship with Jesus Christ, he wants to have personal fellowship with you. Verse 21, notice. To him that overcometh. Some people are going to be overcomers. Will I grant to sit with me in my throne, even as I also overcame, and am set down with my Father in his throne? So it is possible, church, to be overcomers in the midst of a time and an age where so many people think more highly of themselves than they ought, and God's opinion of them spiritually is very, very weak. Okay, now we're going to go to Second Peter, and we've been in chapter 2, and the theme of chapter 2, if you've been here, has been hindrances to spiritual growth and maturity. And we've talked about false prophets and false teachers and various levels of sin. And as we've come through this, one of the last things we saw is the surety of God's judgment. And it used the examples of Noah and of Lot and how the wickedness was so great, God certainly came and he came suddenly and he judged those societies in the time of Noah and in the time of Lot. But the thing I want us to also see is just as certain as the judgment, it is also certain in this passage of Scripture that God will provide deliverance. And that's what we're going to see today. It is an absolute truth that God will provide deliverance. It says in verse number 9 that the Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations. So today what we're going to see is God's deliverance of the righteous. And we're still going to use the examples of Noah and of Lot. And in each case, think about the story. In Noah's case and in Lot's case, Noah and Lot were taken out just before the judgment fell. In one case it was water, in the other case it was fire, right? And so as a result, in Noah and Lot's deliverance, what we will see are two different ways that the rapture will look, depending on your life now depending on the choices that you make. So in other words, and I put this in your notes, how you live your life today as a Christian affects how you will enjoy the millennial kingdom. It's not whether or not you'll enter the millennial kingdom, but it will be how you will enjoy the millennial kingdom. It will affect your rewards. So just follow along with me. I'm going to start reading in verse 4, and we're going to come down to verse number 10. Where it says, For if God spared not the angels that sinned, but cast them down to hell, and delivered them into chains of darkness to be reserved unto judgment, and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly, and turning the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah into ashes, condemned them with an overthrow, making them an ensample unto those that after should live ungodly, and delivered just Lot, vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. For that righteous man dwelling among them and seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. The Lord knoweth how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to reserve the unjust unto the day of judgment to be punished. But chiefly them that walk after the flesh in the lust of uncleanness and despise government. Presumptuous are they, self-willed. They are not afraid to speak evil of dignities. And so we're going to see in these two people, Noah and Lot, the examples of how it can play out. And the first one we're going to start with is Lot. And Lot I'm going to refer to as the typical Laodicean at the rapture. Uh, Lot's life pictures for us 
the characteristic, the overriding characteristic of Laodicea from Revelation chapter number 3, who find themselves alive just before the judgment. And so the first thing I want us to look at is Lot standing before God. When I say Lot standing, I'm talking about his permanent position before God. It says in verse number 7, referring to Lot, it said when God delivered him, he delivered just Lot. Now when he says he delivered just Lot, you need to understand that he did not mean I delivered only Lot. Because ultimately his daughters made it out too, right? It doesn't just in this case does not mean only. Just means right. It means he's justified. Lot has been justified, and we know that because in verse number 8 it says, for that righteous man. So Lot is considered a righteous man. Lot is considered to be a just man. To be righteous means that you are right with God. He's a believer in Jehovah God. When you go back to the Old Testament story in Genesis of Noah and of Lot, and in this case Lot, what we see about, one thing we know about Lot is he's a member of Abraham's family. Amen? And similar to a believer in Jesus Christ today who inherit the, the lineage of Abraham spiritually, Galatians 3.29 says, If ye be Christ's, then are ye Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So spiritually speaking, believers in Jesus Christ, we are also Abraham's seed, and we are heirs according to the spiritual promises that were given to Abraham. Not the physical promises. You can't say as a Christian that you're going to go down to Palestine and inherit your plot of land that was promised to Abraham and the Jews. You have spiritual lineage through that. So in other words, Lot is justified by faith, and he is made right with God. That's his standing before the Lord. So before we go any further, let me just start with this question. What have you done with Jesus Christ today? In other words, where are you in your standing before the Lord? And I'm not going to take a lot of time with this. If you were with us last week, I hope if you were with us, you're back again or or not. But but we always take some time, especially on Easter Sunday, to remind everybody of just the glorious gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, that everybody would remember that we are all sinners sinners that we have all come short of the glory of God, that the wages of sin is death. Do you understand that? Do you understand that your life is not perfect? I think everybody understands that. Do you understand that you've blown it from time to time? I think we all understand that. Well, the Bible says that it's more than just that. It's the wages of sin actually takes you to spiritual death. And spiritual death is equivalent to burning in a lake of fire, according to Revelation chapter 21. But thankfully, the story doesn't end just with the bad truth that we're bad but that Jesus Christ so loved us that while we were yet sinners, he died for us. And he died on the cross to pay the penalty of your sin, and if you would just in simple faith confess your sin to him, ask him to forgive you, and to give you the free gift of eternal life, then you too will become a spiritual son of God. And it will give you the same standing before the Lord that you will be just, that you will be righteous. Have you done that? God forbid something terrible happened physically and, and, and you passed away physically before this day was, were over. If that were to happen to you and you stood before the Lord today and he were to ask you, how sure are you? Why should I let you into my kingdom? Would you have an answer for that? Well, if you've received Jesus Christ, that is your answer. Amen? But if you're not sure you've ever done that, well, man, today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. Amen? 
And there's no time like the present. You don't even have to wait for me to finish talking, man. Just ask the Lord to save you, and he'll do it. That's Lot standing. That's who he is. And you know what, y'all? Regardless of anything else we say or do, that is all that really matters, isn't it? I mean, other things matter, but if you don't get this one down, nothing else matters. It doesn't matter how smart you are or how good-looking or how much money you have. It doesn't matter how successful you are in your business and all the things that you do. If you miss this one, it doesn't matter. But on the other hand, if you get this one, and like a lot of us, mess up other stuff, well, praise the Lord, man. You're with the Lord forever, right? I mean, you want this one. You want to make sure you get this one. If you went back to the Old Testament story of Lot and Sodom in Genesis chapter 19, and in verse 22, what you would find out is this, is that the angels that came to take Lot out were bound. They, they were not able to allow the fire of judgment to come until Lot was out first. You see that? Lot had to be taken out before the judgment could come. He's taken by the hand of the angels and he's led up into a mountain, which is a picture of the heavenly Mount Zion, raptured out just before the fire falls. You see that? Lot's a great picture. The same thing is said of us in the church, 1 Thessalonians 5 and verse number 9, For God hath not appointed us, church, to his wrath. The day of God's wrath is this time of the great tribulation. We're not appointed to the wrath. Right? That's why we know the church is going to be raptured out before the time of the tribulation. Not in the middle of it, not at the end of it, but before it. God has not appointed us to wrath, but to obtain salvation by our Lord Jesus Christ. So because of who you are in Jesus Christ, you don't have to worry about the tribulation. Not personally. Not personally, right? That's Lot's standing. Okay, so letter B. Let's look at Lot's state before the Lord. His standing is permanent, but the state varies depending on how he actually lived his life from day to day. And the first thing that we see about Lot's state before God is that he was burdened. Lot was a burdened brother. It says in verse number seven that he was vexed with the filthy conversation of the wicked. To be vexed, well, you could translate that afflicted, plagued, troubled, oppressed. He was vexed with the influence of this present evil world. He said, it talks about, he was vexed with their unlawful deeds in seeing them and hearing them every single day. Do you ever feel like that sometimes? Do you ever feel like, man, I'm just trying to live for the Lord. I'm trying to do what's right. I'm trying to stay in the Word. I'm, I'm trying to make good choices. And it seems like everywhere I go, everybody I meet, everywhere I go, man, it's just filth. It's just, it's just disgusting. This world is truly evil. And you come home and you just want to take a bath and you think, oh my goodness. This was, this was the case in Sodom. This was the case in Sodom, and somehow or another, it got to Lot. Romans chapter 1 and verse 32 says, Who, knowing the judgment of God, that they which commit such things are worthy of death, not only do the same, but they have pleasure in them that do them. So there's some people who participate in all the wickedness, and there's other people who don't participate 
But you know, they don't mind watching it. They don't mind tuning in Netflix to it. They don't mind having pleasure in others. That not it amazing sometimes the things we let into our home through the television? That we would never let a living human being come into our home and speak with that kind of language or behave in that kind of a manner? Listen, Laodicea is a wicked, evil time. And what we see about Lot is, and this is in your notes, that Lot's practice did not match his profession. He let the world influence him. See, we are called to influence this world, but if you're not careful, it'll influence you. And, well, Lot did one thing right. I mean, he got his fire insurance, right? And then what did he do? He decided to live for himself. I mean, he agreed to the deal. Lord, I'll give you my life. And the Lord, man, that's great. Here's eternal life. And then after a while, Lot's like, I think I want my life back. I think I want to run my own life again. That's a challenge for you teenagers. It's a challenge for everybody, but it's a real challenge for you guys. Because what happens is you sincerely and truly, whether it's at a camp moment or whatever, you give your heart to the Lord and you mean it. But then you come back, man, and the culture that you all live in, I mean, it's wicked. It just is. And my heart goes out to you, and I pray for you all the time. Because when you come back and all your friends and all the junk that's going on in your social circles, it's trying to drag you back down. And that's just what happens. That's how life is. This is a great picture of that. And so he kind of took it back. He kind of caved. He kind of let the world influence him. Man, thank God nobody does that today. God warns us, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 19. And listen, Paul's voice, can you just hear Paul? It's like he's incredulous. He can't even believe what he's hearing about the believers in Corinth when he says, What? Know ye not, church, that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and ye are not your own? Don't you realize that when you made that deal of salvation with the Lord, when you called upon Him, don't you realize that what you said was, Lord, here is my filthy, rotten life. Please give me your pure, holy, perfect one. And God said, absolutely. The greatest deal you've ever made in your life. And then He says, wait a minute, you gave me your life. What business do you have taking it back? Don't you realize, Paul says, don't you understand? You have been bought with a price. You don't belong to you anymore. You don't have a voice anymore. You don't get to vote anymore about what you do. You have to let the Lord lead what you do. For you're bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. And in your spirit, which are God's. So Lot let the world influence him, and as a result, man, of course, he was burdened. He was carrying a load. It was bothering him. And let me just tell you, if you're a Christian and you're allowing the world to influence you and you gave your life to the Lord, but somewhere down the line, whether you meant it or not, you kind of took it back, you're probably burdened too. And you're probably carrying a weight and a burden so heavy. And thank God you're in church. And thank God you're listening to the preaching of God's word. And thank God 
you've got some Christian friends. But let me tell you something. If you don't release all of that back to the Lord, you're just going to keep carrying it. And it's going to crush you under its weight. And that's what we see with Lot. The second thing that we see about his state is not only that he was burdened, but that he's bankrupt. He's bankrupt. Now we're going to go back to Genesis, and we're going to take a look a little bit at his story, because before Lot really camped in Sodom, man, Lot had earned some rewards. Do you realize that Lot was a very wealthy man? And in the Old Testament narrative, I mean, the physical wealth was a direct response to God's blessing in your life, right? So in Genesis 13, we'll start the first couple of verses, and Abram went up out of Egypt, he and his wife and all that he had and Lot with him, into the south. And Abram was very rich in cattle and silver and in gold. Then we skip down to verse 5, and it says, And Lot also, which went with Abram, at flocks and herds and tents, and the land was not able to bear them that they might dwell together, for their substance was great. Man, this guy had some rewards. So that they could not dwell together. And there was a strife between the herdmen of Abram's cattle and the herdmen of Lot's cattle, and and the Canaanite and the Perizzite dwelled then in the land. And Abram said unto Lot, Let there be no strife, I pray thee, between me and thee, between my herdmen and thy herdmen, for we be brethren. That's great advice. Is not the whole land before thee? Separate thyself, I pray thee, from me. If, I will take the, if thou wilt take the left hand, then I'll go to the right. Or if thou wilt depart to the right hand, I'll go to the left. So he says to Lot, Lot's the nephew. Abram's the elder statesman. He says, yeah, you pick. I don't care. Let's just, it's not worth fighting over. There's good advice. That's worth coming to church for. It's not worth fighting over. You just pick one and I'll do the other. It'll be okay. And verse 10, Lot lifted up his eyes. Notice this. And beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Notice, here's the land that he looked at. Here's the characteristic Lot saw. Even as the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Well, there's a contrast, isn't it? Lot looked at the land and he started thinking the kind of things we think. Well, you know, I'm really into this God thing. I mean, I'm all for Jehovah, Jehovah, Jehovah. (laughs) But you know, the world is kind of good too. Look at all the stuff I got. Look how much fun I'm having. Man, me and Abram, we got it going on. And So if I'm going to pick, I mean, why can't I pick something that is really cool with God like the garden of the Lord and... Kind of cool with the Lord, like the land of Egypt. Oh, wait a minute, you forgot that your people are going to be slaves. Oh, yeah, so Egypt is a type of the world. Egypt is not good. Verse 11, Lot chose, he got to choose. We all get to choose. Lot chose him all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east, and they separated themselves, the one from the other. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain. And, and pitched his tent towards Sodom. There it is. But the men of Sodom were wicked and sinners before the Lord exceedingly. So Lot's problem was he wanted the best of both worlds. And as a result, he kind of lost it all, didn't he? He wanted to ride the fence. He wanted to have one foot in the kingdom, and he had, wanted to have one foot in the world. You know what we see in Laodicea? People that want the same thing. 
They're not rejecting the Lord. They want to hang with, with God. But they also want to be friends with the world. And God says you can't do that because friendship with the world is enmity with God. And you can't have it. You can't have it that both ways. And so you know the story, and the judgment came, and, and he lost everything. He got his two daughters out, but he lost everything. It was all burned up. What happened to all the cattle? What happened to all the wealth? What happened to all the... Well, they're gone. I mean, they're ashes now. And so what do we see for us? Second John, verse number 8, says this, church. Look to yourselves, that we lose not those things which we have wrought, but that we receive a full reward. Do you realize it's possible in your life that you can walk with the Lord and you can earn spiritual rewards for the kingdom and then at some point later so blow it you're not losing your salvation you will be delivered like lot just lot the just righteous one but you will have lost the rewards that you previously earned how many times it grieves the hearts of pastors it grieves the hearts of people that walk with the lord when they see friends who have walked with God truly, and they can recall in their mind all the wonderful things they did walking with God once upon a time. But now, something happened. Something changed. And they're kind of just not into it anymore. It's dangerous. There is a possibility you could have earned something and lose it. Do you see that in 2 John? You'll see it in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11. No other For no other... For other foundation, excuse me, can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. There's your salvation. But we've got to build upon the foundation, right? If any man build upon this foundation, gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, every man's work shall be made manifest for the day, the day of judgment, shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire, and the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he hath built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. If any man's work shall be burned, notice, he shall suffer what? Loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so as by fire. Well, that's kind of the bittersweet story of Lot then, isn't it? I mean, it's sweet because, praise the Lord, he was saved, man. Praise the Lord, he was delivered. But the bitter part is, he lost all his rewards because of his selfish desires. Because he wanted it all. Because he wanted both. Don't miss that. Proverbs chapter 13 and verse number 4. The soul of the sluggard desireth and hath nothing. But the soul of the diligent shall be made fat. So that's Lot. And he is the typical Laodicean. That's what Revelation 3 tells us about. A guy like a church, a time period in history where the overwhelming majority of people will be characterized like Lot. They're going to make it out, yet so as by fire. So we're going to end with Noah, because Noah did better, okay? And I don't want to end with the, you know, the Debbie Downer, you know, I want to kind of encourage you. So Noah is the overcoming Laodicean, amen? Noah's a picture and a type of the overcoming Laodicean at the rapture. It's an entirely different story. Noah did it right. That's why I saved it for last, okay? So, letter A, like Lot, Noah also was saved. No, no huge, you know, revelation there. Okay, so, like Lot, Noah lived amidst a terribly corrupt society. He remained separate. 
And ultimately, he was rescued from the judgment that was coming with his entire family. Unlike Lot couldn't get his whole family, Noah got his whole family out. And so Noah's testimony, if you go all the way back to Genesis chapter 6, and this is review for some of you, verses 8 and 9, it says, But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Amen. And it says, Noah was a just man and perfect in his generations. And Noah walked with God. So man, obviously, he's a saved man. He's just. He's perfect in his generations. He walked with the Lord. Why? Because he's so great? No, because he found grace in the eyes of the Lord, just like we have. Referring to Noah in Hebrews chapter 11, and verse number 7, it says, By faith, Noah, notice, being warned of God, of those things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he condemned the world, and became heir of the righteousness, which is by faith. So he did it by faith because he acted solely on God's word. He was warned of God. How did God warn him? Well, God spoke to him. Well, how does God warn us? Well, God speaks to us. So Noah received the word of God, and he believed it. And he believed it so much that he didn't just say, oh, that sounds cool. He acted upon it. He could have said, oh, yeah, that rain thing, that sounds interesting. I'm not building an ark or nothing, but I mean, it sounds cool. I mean, I think that's neat. Well, he'd have got drowned out too. No, his faith led him to actually do something, right? Because he feared the Lord. He believed his word, and he proved that his faith was alive by acting upon it. And because of that, that act saved his family. And he received God's righteousness. In fact, we don't have time to go there, but um, recently in my morning reading, I'm come through the book of Ezekiel, and I was reminded in Ezekiel chapter 14 and verse 14, talking about the wickedness of Israel and how, man, there's no chance for Israel. They're in captivity in Babylon and all this stuff. And it was like, man, the situation in Israel is so bad, he says, even if Noah or Daniel or Job were here, you couldn't pull this thing out of the pit. It's that bad. In other words, Noah, Daniel, and Job are listed by God as three exemplary examples. Three guys that stand as righteous, even if three of the most righteous ever among those three is Noah. Noah. Unbelievable testimony. So in other words, I put this in your notes, Noah was saved by getting in the ark, which pictures salvation in Jesus Christ. So Noah gets in the ark. The ark is a picture or a type of Jesus Christ. You have to get in Christ if you're going to have eternal life, right? So Noah was saved by getting in the ark, which is a picture of the salvation that is in Jesus Christ. If you went to Genesis chapter 7 and verse number 1, so the rains are about to start coming, and, and the Lord says to Noah, Come thou into the ark. Very interesting. The Lord is on the inside inviting Noah, come in, come in here with me. See? And so that's the invitation to salvation. That is the invitation that is given for salvation in churches all over this world week after week after week. Come, receive, right? Isn't that what we hear over and over again? In fact, your entire Bible ends in Revelation 22 and verse 17. The Spirit and the bride say, come, let him that heareth say, come. Let him that is a thirst, come. And whosoever will, let him take the water of life 
freely. So he invites Noah to come into the ark like we are invited to come into Jesus Christ. And it says in Genesis 7 and verse 16 that when they went in and, the, and the, the door was shut, it says the Lord shut them in. Now you spend some time back in Genesis chapter 7 and you check it out. When he built that ark, he built it out of wood, right? But it wasn't just wood, right? It also was made with this thing called pitch. Okay, and pitch would be like tar. It actually would be similar to brimstone, okay? It's, it's the sticky stuff that would seal up the joints so that the boat would be waterproof, right? It's like that infomercial these days that you can buy that tape and you stick it on a boat and then the boat floats, you know? I mean, just, it's awesome. <laughs> so that's kind of like the modern version of pitch, okay? And it says the Lord shut him in, which means the Lord had to caulk up those joints on the outside of that door. I mean, Noah could have done it all everywhere else, but who's shutting the door, right? The Lord did it. The Lord did it. It's a work of God, right? Because if God's not involved in shutting you in, well, your boat's going to leak. You know what that word pitch is also translated as all through the Old Testament, that Hebrew word that's translated as pitch? You know what it's also translated as tons of times? Listen, atonement, reconcile, cleansed, forgiven. Why, why is that? It says the Lord closed the, you know, shut them in with atonement. The Lord shut them in with reconciliation. The Lord shut them in with forgiveness. Because pitch is a picture of eternal security. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse number 30, He seals your salvation. Amen? Praise God for that. So, everybody knew this before you got here today? Noah was saved. All right, awesome. Great picture. But, letter B, unlike Lot, Noah walked with God every day. Lot messed it up. Noah did not mess it up. In fact, back in 2 Peter chapter 2 and verse 5, it calls Noah a faithful preacher of righteousness. And back in Genesis 6, 9 that we looked at earlier, it says, and he walked with God, right? So Noah was warned of God. We saw that in Hebrews eleven seven. 7. He was warned of God of the coming judgment, and he believed it. So we looked at that a little bit before. So I'm gonna, what I'm going to do for you is a little quick Bible study. Y'all, y'all doing okay? We're hanging in there? Amen. We're, we're, we're going to dig a little bit, all right? So a little bit of Bible comparison. We've got to compare Scripture with Scripture. We're going to look at a few places. Hang with me. Y'all ready? If you're, gonna, if you're ready to hang with me, say, hang with me. Amen. All right, I don't know why I thought of that, but that sounded dumb. Okay, all right, ready. Genesis, I just want to make sure you're not sleeping. Genesis 5. This is the book of the generations of Adam and the lineage and the genealogies. This is some of your favorite reading when you read the Bible. Okay, so Genesis 5, 25. We're gonna, before we get into that, there is the great-grandfather. Let me start with this. The great-grandfather of Noah is a guy named Enoch. And in Genesis 5, not 25, but 21, excuse me. Enoch, the great-grandfather of Noah, lived 60 and 5 years and begat Methuselah. And Enoch walked with God, notice, after he begat Methuselah, 300 years, and begat sons and daughters. So whatever was going on in Enoch's life for the first 65 years, he wasn't really tracking with the Lord. 
then he has this child. And like happens in our world. Sometimes some big life event happens, and it kind of gets your attention, doesn't it? And after that big life event, in this case, it's having this child, maybe it's because he couldn't come up with a better name. I'm not sure what it was. <laughs> that he's like, oh, I need to start walking with God now. And for the next 300 years of his life, he walked with God after Methuselah was born. That's what it says, right? Now, what is that? Well, God did things that sometimes it's hard for us to, you know, figure out because it's not exactly the way he does them today. But the names in the Bible mean something. And the name Methuselah has a meaning. If you were to translate it into something that makes sense, the name Methuselah literally means when he is gone, it will come. And the idea is this. Methuselah was given as a, almost like a prophetic sign. When this boy that is now born, at the end of his life, when he's gone, judgment's coming. Judgment's coming. That's what his name means. So he gives birth to Methuselah. So he, Methuselah ultimately will be the grandfather of Noah. Now I want you to see this. Because everybody in the days of Enoch, in the days of Methuselah, in the days, of course, everybody lived a long time back then, they knew the story. Word would have passed. Everybody would have known, oh, when he's gone, it's coming. Now, people lived a long time back then. But Methuselah, if you studied your Bible or you checked, is the oldest man recorded that ever lived on planet Earth. He lived 969 years. Okay, so if you check the genealogies and, you know, you got nothing else to do and you're just checking, what you're going to find out is nobody has ever lived longer than Methuselah. A great picture of the long-suffering of God before the judgment comes, right? 969 years. Now, the narrative picks up. Now we're going to go to Genesis 5.25, and we're going to follow the genealogy. So Enoch begat Methuselah, starts walking with God. The message comes in. And Methuselah, verse 25, lived, notice, 187 years and begat Lemek. You got your notes right? 187. Skip down to verses 28 and 29. And Lemek lived 180 and two years and begat a son and called his name Noah. So here's Noah. So now, from Methuselah to Noah, we have 187 years and 182 years, which if you add them together is 300 and 69 years, you said, I didn't know we were doing math at church. This is crazy. What are you doing? Hang in there, man. You sometimes got, hey, kids, math matters. <laughs> I mean, it does. It really does. When am I ever going to use this in life? Okay. All right. Genesis chapter 7, we're comparing Scripture with Scripture, and we're paying attention even in the genealogies. God can teach us something. You doing okay? Everybody's Okay. Okay. Genesis 7, verse 6. Noah was 600 years old when the flood of waters was upon the earth. You doing the math? 369 plus 600 is 969. When he is gone, judgment will come. And everybody knew it because it says Noah was warned of God and he believed it. And listen, Lemek lived 365, which for us, man, that's ridiculous. That's a ton. People were living five, six, seven, eight, nine hundred years back then. 
Noah, 930 years, I mean, Adam, 930 years. People lived ridiculously long time. And don't you know that all those guys were tracking that old man? Man, he won't die. He's still going on. Man. <laughs> you know, and there's just, he's getting older, and he's getting older, and he's getting older, and he's not. Don't you know? They're watching that guy because they know when he's gone, something's happening. Something's happening. Listen, just by coincidence, I'm sure. Methuselah lived seven years longer than the previously oldest person. Seven extra years. And I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't say this. I can't prove this. But it is my personal opinion. So take that for what it's worth. Not just that year. It is my personal opinion based on the consistency of God. The day that old boy drew his last breath, raindrops started falling from the sky. Raindrops started falling from the sky. They went to the cemetery to bury him or whatever it is they did back then and never seen that before. Water falling from the sky. Well, that's what Noah had been preaching, right, for a hundred years. Noah was warned. You know what? Laodicean church, you've been warned too. You've been warned too. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. But of the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I write unto you. For yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord cometh as a thief in the night. Do you realize, and here's in your notes, Noah is taken out before the judgment, and as such is a type of a rapture. Now, for you hardcore Bible students, I am aware of the fact that the days of Noah do not correlate exactly with the church age. I get it. But the fact that he is taken out before the judgment comes is a picture of a rapture. There are three raptures in the Bible. I get it. I'm just saying it is a picture of one of them. And I want you to see in Matthew 24 and verse 37, but as the days of Noah were, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. We've seen that before. Jump down to verse 40, Matthew 24. Then shall two be in the field, one shall be taken, the other left. So his being taken out in the ark is a picture of a rapture. So entering into the ark, we saw, was a picture of the believer in Jesus Christ. It's also a picture of the believer in the church. So the ark represents Jesus Christ in the matter of salvation, but the ark also represents the church. Why? Because the ark is the place where all the newly saved people got together to gather. Right? That's where they found protection from this world. And since the ark pictures Christ... They were in Christ like we are in Christ and a part of his body. And as a body, that is the church. 1 Corinthians 12, 27, Ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. Colossians 1, 24, Who now rejoice in my suffering for you and fill up that which is behind of the afflictions for Christ in my flesh. Notice, for his body's sake, who's that? Which is the church. And in Laodicea, we often lose sight of the significance, of the importance of the collective body of believers. 
Do you realize that the Bible says that Jesus Christ didn't die for an individual? He died for the church. He died so that we would have a collective body of individuals. Ephesians 5.25, Husbands, love your wives even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it, the church. So you can think of it this way if you like. If you were in the ark with Noah, I imagine there were some times when it probably smelled pretty bad in there. But it's still better to be on the inside than the outside. That's good preaching. (laughs) And you come to church and you hang out with us (laughs) and every once in a while everything doesn't just smell the way you wish it smelled. still better to be in than to be out i'll take in any day with you stinkers (laughs) second peter chapter two we got to get back to this thing man the lord knoweth how to deliver amen god is a faithful deliverer and if you are saved you are secure in jesus christ hallelujah that is guaranteed so god's part is sure The question is, what are you doing with your part? God's part is sure. What are you doing with your part? Two little quick applications and we're done. First, man, walk with God. Walk with God. Romans 13, verse 11. And that knowing the time, Laodicea, right before the rapture, knowing the time, that now it's high time to awake out of sleep. For now is our salvation nearer than when we believed the night is far spent the day is at hand let us therefore cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light and let us walk honestly as in the day not in rioting and drunkenness not in chambering and wantonness not in strife and envying man church don't live your life drinking and partying and shacking up and arguing and fighting and lusting But put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Walk with God. Let me give you this last one because this is powerful and we're done. Pray for your friends. You say, well, I'm doing okay. I mean, I'm not perfect. I got issues, but but, but generally I'm walking with, I think I'm walking with the Lord. And, And a lot of you, I'm sure, man, that's true. Thank God for you. Man, are you really praying for your friends that are struggling? You got friends that you know are saved, but man, Somehow, something happened. They've lost touch. Man, pray for them. I want you to consider this. Why was Lot rescued from Sodom? Well, okay, the salvation thing, okay, but I want to dig a little deeper because did God pull Lot out specifically because, just because Lot was awesome? No. It's because Abraham prayed for Lot. You go back to Genesis 18 and you have this whole long exchange where Abraham is talking to God. And God's like, man, you better get out of the way because I'm, I'm going to toast Sodom. It's going down. And Abram says, man, Lord, if you could find 50 righteous people, would you spare that city? Okay, 50 righteous people. He's like, Lord, man, I don't want to be a jerk or nothing, but how about, we, how about we bargain it down to 40? And he's like, all right, 40. 
Um, you know, while we're talking. 30? If we, I mean, we'll get 30. You save the city for 30? 30. And he gets them down to 10. I almost said something I would have to apologize for next week. Okay, so, great bargain hunter. Okay, Abram got him down, man, to 10. And God said, find 10, and I won't destroy the city. Well, we couldn't find even 10. So the city was destroyed, but Lot made it out. And notice this in Genesis 19, 29. Notice. And it came to pass, when God destroyed the cities of the plain, that God remembered Lot. Does it say that? No. God remembered Abraham and sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow when he overthrew the cities in which Lot dwelt. That's powerful, man. And I'm convicted. I'm convicted that I have friends who know that they're saved and don't walk with the Lord, and I don't cry out to God enough. But man, I'm starting to. And you know what? We started a monthly prayer meeting around here. We'll have the next one in a couple of weeks. First Sunday night of every month. Man, we're going to cry out to God for souls of people that either are lost and need to get saved or saved and need to get right and that God would do a work and all this sort of thing. Man, will you pray for your friends? Would you really pray for your friends? Man, that'll change them. That'll change them. Well, let's all pray together and see what God will do.